Welcome to Pub Talk TV. We're what would happen if a publishing conference panel and like a happy hour got together and loved each other very, very much. <laughs> uh, I am Kelsey Mackey. And I am Summer Heacock. As always, Pub Talk TV is about bringing your questions to our brilliant panel of publishing professionals. Tonight, we're going to focus on the mystery that is dun dun dun. Revisions. Ooh. Ooh. I thought I missed the Halloween episode. You did, but it's still in the iTunes store. This is very new. Yes. We now have a podcast edition, and the Halloween episode is up, and there is a special surprise coming in the next few days. Yes, if you guys know what it is on our panel, let's not reveal that. Oh, yet. no, I don't know no. anything. Okay, okay. I don't, I um, revisions can be tricky, but they do not have to be frightening. Tonight, we're going to tackle this tough topic, and we even have our first Pub Talk TV top 10 list. Wait, only 10 tips? I thought it was 100. Ugh. Oh. I better start whittling these down. <laughs> I don't have paper. Stop. Stop, Phil. That is revising in action. So before we get to the good stuff, we would like to remind you that Pub Talk TV is interactive. Over on Twitter, our Twitter hostess with the most is Veronica Bartles, is hanging out with you and talking about the show on the Pub Talk TV hashtag. And you can tweet your revision or publishing questions to us directly using the hashtag, hashtag AskPubTalkTV. This is where I'd normally hold up a little sign, but I forgot it. So let's kick that I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I got nothing. I have I have empty cardstock. Just imagine that hashtag AskPubTalkTV is written right here. Let's kick off this episode with our Pub Talk TV ritual, who we are and what we're drinking. My name is Summer Heacock. I'm a writer and I'm not wearing any pants and I'm not drinking nearly enough. Nearly enough water, that is. Somewhere. I almost sit on my laptop just now, just now. Uh, I am Kelsey Mackey and I am the author of the book Damsel Distressed. And I am drinking my classic gin and ginger, but I put just a couple drops of red stuff in it. We are so lucky to be joined tonight by our very special guest, Allison White's editor at Sky Pony Press. Allison, tell us a little bit about you and what you're drinking. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Allison, and I'm an editor at Sky Pony Press. Um, I focus on mainly chapter books through young adults across all kinds of genres. Um, and tonight I am drinking Prosecco. Yay! <laughs> Party time! Party time! I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. I'm drinking something I'm calling the Red Pen. Mm. This is pomegranate soda and gin. And the Red Pen, of course, because it is our revision episode. I'm an agent at the Sarah Jane Fryman Literary Agency. I am uh, Roseanne Wells. I'm with the Jennifer D. Chiara Literary Agency. And I was not as clever as Jessica, so I just put some bourbon and ginger soda and pomegranate soda together, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay, so we don't have Monica right now. And it's <laughs> Monica was having some technical difficulties, so if Monica pops back up with a functional microphone, we will have her introduce herself then. But in the meantime, we can go ahead and get started with some questions. How does that sound? Yay! That's all right. Awesome. Summer, do you have one ready to go from the Twitter stream yet? Remember, Hi. everybody, you can add your questions at Ask Pub Talk TV. 
I do. Our token mail correspondent, Ted Fox, who will, I think, involve himself somehow later, has <laughs> tagged me with a good one. This is from Roseanne Foster off Twitter. Where did y'all get your best beta readers, and how do you choose which suggestions to implement as you revise? Ooh, that's a good that's one. A good one. Awesome. This is awesome. This is kind of, it's asking the writers, Summer. I don't know oh. how to feel right now. Oh, my goodness. This is, a very new, this is a new feeling. I definitely found my primary beta readers from Twitter um, and finding other writers who have a, who have similar interests and who um, have maybe similar voice to mine and even a few that don't have a similar voice to mine. But Twitter has been a great resource for me to find other authors who are at various stages of the process who are like in the trenches, like, you know, just like me. And that's that's always a really good place to start. What about you, Summer? Any, anything other than Twitter? Twitter is my very good happy place, but I'll go into some specifics. I found contests to be very valuable, specifically the Brenda Drake contests, because she's really all about connecting people while they're they're in the contest. I never actually had any luck with the contests, other than finding the most amazing beta readers and CPs in the history of beta readers and CPs. What I do is I have people selected not for their genre or not because they match up with what I write, but based off of particular skills that they have that I don't possess. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like my friend Triona uh, and my friend Dee, they are the grammar goddesses of the United States, and I suck at it so hard. So I go to them so they can help me with the things that I suck at. And then, uh, like my friend Amy, she is the person who can help me with content and flow in the way that I can't catch. So I, I have different people for different things. I don't rely on any one beta or CP for the entire story. So that's why I think it's important to have several from different things that you rely on for different reasons. Wonderful. What about our industry professionals? Do you occasionally wear the writer hat? Have you ever had a really great beta reader or a critique partner that you found some way other than, than those? Well, there's, there's hashtag CP match, which is a wonderful hmm. resource. I think it's really important to find people who are writing something similar. I've wanted to match make. There are times when I know someone with, has this amazing skill in this one area, like for example, hmm. rhyme and meter, and there's someone else who needs that. And I want to be like, hello, can we put you together to, to do that? But yeah. that's, that's just me to find that all. So, <laughs> I think in another lifetime, Jessica might have been a yentl, and she just maps make all over the place. I would enjoy that very much, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, um, Kelsey, I had a question for you. So, how do you approach people on Twitter? Do you become friends with them and then sort of feel them out, and that, or do you cold email them? Are you actively searching, or are you just sort of finding people in the community? I'm wondering. Like, from a writer's perspective, it can be really intimidating to approach someone that you don't, that, that you think you know, but you don't actually know, except mm -hmm. on Twitter. Something so, like, that, maybe a little bit of the etiquette yeah. of that. Yeah, something that worked really well for me, um, especially at the beginning, was setting up clear expectations. If you are in the market for a new critique partner, um, I found a lot of success by saying, let's do a chapter exchange. I really don't know you. You really don't know me. We have no idea if we're going to be compatible. And so I would sort of engage in these like one chapter, like buddy swaps. And in this situation, there's no pressure to have a like continuing relationship at all. So it's just like, let's exchange a chapter, provide some feedback and that's it. So you read their chapter and you provide feedback and they do the same. And then if it's a good match, you know, and then you respond and you're like, we're, you know, this feedback was exactly what I needed. 
Um, and occasionally it will be, you know, reciprocated and it'll be a good fit. And if it isn't, there's no pressure because then you just say, you know, thanks for doing the buddy read. I wish I had more time to, to do more chapters. It was really fun to see your work. You know, thank you for sharing with me. Um, but it's a really sort of easy way to keep the pressure low. And that, that worked. So it's almost yeah. like a first date meet. Oh yeah. When you submit to an agent. <laughs> See, this yeah. is what I'm talking about. You should be running a matchmaking agency <laughs> with a query critique or page critique agency. That's fine. <laughs> and you know that I'm going to do something like this and it's going to take a million hours. And yeah. Then and I'm going to invest you. in that. Everyone shit. who does not get their edits right away is going to be like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. I'm sorry you have clients, but we need this agency to get off the ground. Oh, by the way, speaking of clients, shout out to the love Talented Veronica Bartles. Veronica Bartles. Chat. I'm probably making all kinds of delicious recipes up here in the Twitter feed, and I Always. can't see them, but I need more drinks. I'll be more right drinks. Back. More drinks. Um, <laughs> really quick, I want to add something to what Kelsey just said. Um, this is extremely rare, but I always add a little bit of caution. When I was a brand new baby writer on Twitter, um, Somebody had approached me through email and was like, oh, my gosh, I, I want to read your stuff. Let's be a beta reader. And I actually had my first chapter stolen by somebody. Um, and then, like, like, they just very slightly tweaked it and put it in a contest at some point. And it was very horrible, and it hurt my feelings. So don't, like, know somebody a little bit or, you know, do the first chapter exchange or do something. You know, take your time or ask around. Be like, hey, this person asked to see my stuff. Do you see somebody know them, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it's just, I mean, you wouldn't, like, go up and be like, oh, here, I trust you to, like, hold my debit card to somebody, like, that you didn't know. I don't know if I would do those people I do know. But anyway, just, yeah, that's a really rare thing. Thing that I don't know that that happens that often, but I do know several people that it has happened to. So just, you know, be careful. Make sure you're not, like, taking any wooden nickels. That kind of Great point. So I have a question from the inbox. This is a question for Allison. This question says, besides the subjective interests you may have, what things do you look for in a manuscript before you take on a new project? So my... My highfalutin answer um, is that I'm looking for projects that change my perspective on the world. But my realistic answer is that um, I look for manuscripts that have really strong voice characters and a really stunning plot. And it doesn't need to be, for me, it doesn't necessarily need to be a brand new plot because we all know there's really no such thing. Um, but if you're going to tell a familiar story, then I want you to do it in a really smart, innovative way. Totally. Awesome. New twist. Unfamiliar concept? <gasps> yes. Fantastic. No, I, I, I was <laughs> pretending to have a realization because it was familiar yet exciting. Yes, we like that. <laughs> Agents, do you have something else specific to add? I mean, when you're looking for a new project, what's, what's that special it factor thing for you? Is it ever the same thing twice? One thing that's consistent for me is that I keep thinking about it. I'll put it mm. down and I'll be like, can I forget this book? Because we all know time is short. We want the books that stay with us over time, no matter what. This probably happens for editors, too. You want the project that you can't stop thinking about because it's so vivid. It's practically alive. Totally. We want that thing that lives in our brain versus something that we enjoy, and we're like, oh, okay, on to the next. Yeah, going off of what Allison said, I find if the storytelling itself is really fantastic, I won't recognize that it's a familiar plot. Like, when I read We Were Liars... And I finished, I was like, oh, I've heard that plot before. But she was so engaging in the moment 
that I wasn't thinking about like trying to solve the mystery or trying to skip ahead as I might be in the manuscript. I was in that moment and that is always a wonderful feeling. And that smitten feeling when you can't stop talking about it. Yeah. There's something I want so bad this week. And of course I can't say what it is, but I'm gonna <laughs> be like, okay, so it's this thing makes this thing and it's so great, you guys. And everyone I've told about it, like this is including like friends, family. Monica. 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 Anyway, they all think it's fantastic, including Monica when I told her. But Monica's here. Hi. Is Monica yeah. in? Yeah. I don't think you can hear Oh, can you hear me? Good. Sorry, I don't know what was happening. I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think I clicked that button where I, like, I didn't trust Google, and then I had to like reset like everything on my computer so that it would ask me again so that I could say, yes, Google, I trust you. Just listen to me whenever you want. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, Google, overlords, we trust you. <laughs> Technical difficulty solved. Carry yeah. on. Monica, could you please introduce yourself, tell us if you're drinking anything, and let us know if there's anything that's really special that you are looking for um, lately in a new project. My name is Monica Odom, and I'm an agent at Bradford Literary. I'm drinking a Moscow Mule. It's very Ooh. It was very helpful during my technical difficulty. We like your copper cut, Monica. Thank you very much. Birthday gift. <laughs> I am particularly looking for right now very cool visual nonfiction projects, specifically pop anthropology space, I would say. Ooh, I love that term. Wow. I, mean, I saw that term from Rosie. Oh. <laughs> so, can't Did Monica get it from me or from you? I don't know. From you, Rosie. That's who I got it from. You guys are oh, no, so I'm much cooler done. than I will ever be. Oh and she got it from someone it's else. It's like tracking an epidemic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's the bird flu of genres. I'm not patient zero. I'm not patient zero either. <laughs> oh my god. And Monica, I just thought of an editor you need to meet because she handed me a sack of wonderful books like that. <laughs> oh, um, all right. Hey, I have another question from the Twitterville. Uh, this is from Meg Ripley, and it says, on revision, after sending out a query, I did a heavy rewrite of chapter one. Do I contact the agent about a resub or leave it alone? This is actually a really good question I've had so many people ask. Once you've sent something to an agent, if you've done a significant revision, do you want them to contact you about it or do you want them to just leave it alone? My question is, why are you revising something that's on submission? Oh, but I like when people keep working. Is something ever really, I mean, if they get no, a great idea. My point is that like, you, you, sometimes you have to let it go. And if you keep working it and we're, it's like, it's like pie dough. If you work it over and over and over, it's just going to be a hot mess. It's gonna oh, be the can we do a Food Network episode of the show next time? Yeah. Can we do like the next Food Network Pub Talk TV star? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, you know, there sometimes you just have to let it chill. Like literally, like high dough. You just put it in the fridge and let it go. And like if it's been a while, like I'm totally guilty of this. I have a few manuscripts that are a little bit overdue, then I think that's okay. But like if someone emailed you two weeks later and was like, I did a complete revision. Yeah. Wouldn't you be upset? No, I would not be upset. Okay, as I wouldn't be upset, but I'd be like, so then why'd you send me the crappy version first? Okay, okay. As someone who is not very good at letting things go <laughs> or chilling, like Kaido or otherwise, <laughs> I, I would feel, and this is probably not most agents, most agents would probably prefer that you have something perfectly polished because, yes, this is the ideal. But... I would appreciate that things happen and that you are continuing to work. This is much better than someone who refuses to do edits. 
Agreed, but I don't think that's the question. It's not the question. I'm just saying that's how I might interpret it. <laughs> as, as a writer, I'm thinking, like, what if, and I, I mean, I don't keep twinking or tinkering twinking? with the book right after twinking. I came with twinkling and tinkering and shut up. I, I'm drinking a lot of water here, y'all. It's oh, that's great. great. Um, but no, like, oh, if I'm and it's like a few weeks later and suddenly I have this like master brainstorm of, oh my God, I didn't even realize this was the thing that was wrong with the book until I just thought of it now. And now I have this master fix and I'm kicking myself because I thought it was great. And now I realize there was this hole. What about that? If you do major revisions, I do want to see it. Mm -hmm. But personally, and Monica can also, you know, say that this is not true for her, but I would hope that those would not come two weeks after you sent me the full manuscript. Two weeks, yeah. In an ideal world. In a, in a world <laughs> that I exist in. In a world. I can feel she's like, I will throw that in my trash. This is where she's at. So yeah. I would just say that, I don't know, if you're gonna do major revisions and it's there's a chance that I may have started reading it Give me a heads up, maybe. Just say, like, hey, I know you should be, you're reading this right now. FYI, I'm about to do this huge revision. And that would give me the opportunity to stop reading where I am and just wait for you to send me the other one. I mean, I think that's the most logical thing. And, like, obviously, I understand you don't want to feel like you're bothering us, but communication is always great. Right, and you don't want to be just 100 pages into a 250-page manuscript Ooh. and then have someone be like, I did a major overhaul. And you're like, but what if, what if, See, I figure writers will be having the same one. What if you do like a contest or go no, to a no, no, conference? No. no. What if you have suddenly solved the major problem of your manuscript? Granted, you should not have sent it out before you solved it. That's what I'm saying. But what if you solve the major problem that I am seeing in the manuscript? And I would have said, had you not said, oh, by the way, I solved this problem. I agree. You should always communicate, as Monica said, and side on the side of sending over not sending. But also, if there's a major plot hole in your manuscript, just finish it before you send it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. We don't know. It's a complicated process. You can yes. get this whole thing if you revise. Exactly. That's all I'm saying, is that maybe you sent it too early and you're not actually done revising. That's well, and it better be, like, a major revision, too. Like, as in, like, changes your whole pitch revision a little bit, because... Otherwise, if I have just read your manuscript and then you're going to send me like a quick, rev like a revision, it better be enough where I'm able to tell the difference between the two manuscripts I just read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's true. That's okay. True. Jessica just tagged um, Summer and I on a great question from Twitter that I feel like is related. And so I think it's a great time to just sort of put it here. It's from Sarah Floyd at Kidlet Sarah. And she wants to know um, if, if an agent asks for an R&R, &R, and list several plot points that need to be changed, is it okay to send a revision back where one of those changes that was suggested like didn't didn't jive with the writer and they decided not to change it? Is it an, is it offensive to not take every single one of the five to ten major suggestions that you guys put in an R and R? Are those Monica, are those bullet points deal breakers? Yeah. Monica, what do you think? I would say, yeah, don't bother sending that to me. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, though, like, because I'm going to have the same issue again, and I'm just, because the reason I even gave you that feedback is probably, like, here are the things that make it not sellable, in my opinion. So send it to somebody else, I would say, who may not have that, who may not already have that predetermined criteria for what to expect. My feeling is 
if you don't take my revision suggestion, you better have a damn good reason why. Or an alternative. Or an alternative. Because, because I made that suggestion for a reason, and it, that suggestion is solving a problem. And if you solve the problem in a different way, A, you have to let me know. You can't just be like, I didn't read the last bullet point on your editorial letter. I didn't feel like it. I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel like it. And it, it better be a really good edit because I put a lot of thought into all of my edit letters for my clients, all of my edit letters that I do for critiques and auctions and things like that. Uh, for classes, and I do a lot of, I put a lot of thought into my revision letters for R&Rs. And if you're not taking my suggestions, it's a little bit like, did I waste my time? Are, are you not going to even consider what I'm trying to point out to you? So I just want it to be in like a respectful way. If it's something that doesn't jive with you, it's helpful if you have a, a suggestion or, or a way to fix that problem that I pointed out to you. Allison, what do you think? Does this ever happen to you? Um, this happens oh, to me all the time. So I think that I actually don't agree with you guys. I am very much, as an editor, my philosophy is that it's the author's name on the book and it's not mine. So if I make a suggestion and the author doesn't agree with me, I don't want them to do it. But that doesn't mean that the problem's gone away. I want to give you an example from um, one of the books I edited. And if the author ever sees this, she's going to kill me, but I don't care. So I edited this great fairy tale retelling of the brave little tailor that's called Valiant. And it has this gorgeous romance in it. And I said to the author, um, the chemistry is just like not as sharp as she. I want more banter. Like I need more Darcy Elizabeth. And I sent her the letter. And then we were talking through the letter. And she, we're, we're talking about this point, and she got really, really quiet on the phone. And she said, but he's not Darcy. And I said, yeah, 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 I know he's not Darcy. But she said, no, 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 he's not Darcy. He's Knightley. And suddenly I understood entirely that I had totally misunderstood the relationship she was going for. And I understood what she wanted. And then I knew how to direct her to get her vision across. Mm -hmm. So I think that communication element's really important. I think, Absolutely. I think often when I give suggestions, it's not, you must do this thing this way. It's, here is this issue. Here is my personal shortcut right. for how we, I think we can fix it. And if you come up with another one that also fixes the problem, that's totally fine. So in this situation, as long yeah. as you come up with a solution, you've acknowledged what I've said. Yeah. And you've thought about it and you've come up with something versus just kind of being like, meh. Yeah, it's that feeling you don't want an agent to feel like you're not listening. You're not listening. Because I, that also breeds bad vibes for the relationship from there on out. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to point out. Like an R&R <laughs> is sort of like an audition in a way or like that first date with the agent to see how you guys are going to work together. How do you take critique? How do you like bounce things off of each other? And I think most agents are very with, Hey, here's my notes. If you have any questions, you can come back to me. And um, it's just a way to say, this is how we could potentially work together. If I decided to take you on as a client. In fact, I, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that a lot of agents will not offer now without doing an R and R first, just so they know how they're going to settle in with a client. That's something I've heard at a lot of conferences. Yeah, I don't know I don't if that's, that. I think it depends on the project. It depends on the project, but me personally, I often do an R and R with a project 
that I know is going to re require several rounds of revision. You know, it's going to require intensive work, and I want to make sure that we work well together. Then again, I've gone in knowing there's a lot of work. Also, having spoken with the author enough to just kind of trust them, mm -hmm. and, and you, know, you you pitch these ideas like, hey, there's this issue here, and they're like, oh, we could do this thing. And mm -hmm. you're like, yes, we like problem solving. We like that so much. Yeah. Or there are the times when I'm just so darn smitten, and I'm completely sure, like the project this week, oh, God, I have to get over this. <laughs> this is a problem. Like, oh, anyway, oh. Um, so there are times when we're just so into things. You know, this happened last week. This happened this week. Like, it's been a very, very busy week. It's been, such it's a, been a very, very yes. busy week. Yes. There was there was this project um, last week that I was thinking about for so long, and there's this one image that happens, and I just keep thinking of it over and over and seeing it everywhere. And it's this longer piece, and it's so beautiful. And I I just knew. I just knew I couldn't stop thinking about it. Everyone is like, it needs all these things to happen. I'm like, I don't care. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Jeff, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever have those where you go in and you're like, oh my God, I don't care. I love it. And then you get down to work on it and you're like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> um, sometimes it's been more labor intensive than I expected. Uh, there but been... not like this person is batshit. No, no, <laughs> no. I've been incredible. No, no, there, there have not been any bat anything. Bats. No bats. Um, no bats. No bats. Though I have a great sheet of Batman stickers, um, stamps <laughs> that I've been using for all my correspondence. That's fantastic. Um, I, I love from the Batman. Box. Uh, oh, no, not from the box. Not he from the me. box. Rosie yeah. sent me stationery. It was a most wonderful yeah. present. It's like Aww. a stationery TSA. But, so um, I, I just wanted to add one no, other actually... thought to this. Mm -hmm. um, I was, yeah, I was thinking that like, to there was Batman. a distinction. There was a definite distinction between like revising um, for your agent versus revising for your editor. In my experience, that was a very different. Those were two very different situations, um, and and I don't know if that's the case for every writer, um, but it was. There was definitely a difference to me um, because when I was working with my editor, it was definitely like we're gonna like this is gonna be a, a thing, and I need you to trust me that this thing's broken and we gotta fix it. And you really had to boil down, like, what's the soul of this project? And what is just stuff you like? And really being, like, able to say, this is a piece that, I, that my book doesn't exist if this piece is gone. Versus, this is something that I really like, but actually doesn't have to be in there the way that it is. And I think that you sort of, you have to get a thick skin when you go through revisions. I had no idea that revising in a lot of ways is taking this house that you have put together, it's a beautiful house, and then you work with your with your editor and you say, okay, now we're going to take this room off and we're going to tear down this wall and we're going to totally rip up all these floors and at the end the house is beautiful. But I mean, it's a lot of construction and you really have to be willing to like, to tear down some walls and make it look a little uglier at the, you know, at the beginning so that it will be beautiful at the end. Like you, you can't be afraid of that, that ugly interim. Uh, in my experience, because it makes it makes all the difference. I think that's totally true. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You want to do another it's, question? No. It's always a brave thing to do. Life is a brave thing. That's <laughs> true. Right. Yeah. Okay. I have another question that can go. Um, I guess it's actually for the agents, and then also for Allison. It looks like a two-part question, and it's from the inbox. It looks like the question is from Nathan, and they queried they queried a manuscript. And they did not get the responses that they were hoping for. And now they have a second manuscript. 
and they're querying that and they are having more positive responses. So what is the proper thing to do with manuscript one? Is it okay to submit that to publishers or does it need to go in the drawer while manuscript two is being queried? Not quite sure of the question. Wait, so I, they sent out manuscript one. Yes, manuscript got one. Got little, yeah. Okay. Then they sent out manuscript two, and that's what we don't know how much time happened in between. Right. Yeah. Manuscript two, lots of requests on manuscript two. Right. So what do you do with manuscript one? It's a book. Shouldn't you go try to make it a book, even though nobody seemed to bite on it before? I think the question is, do you go and submit directly to publishers something that agents weren't interested in? Oh goodness. Like you go south. Like you go south. Yeah. Wow. No. I think you either make that a drawer novel or you, after some time, maybe you come back to that manuscript and you see that there are all kinds of things that you need to do to evolve it. And maybe through that evolution, it will become publishable at some point in the future, or you can cannibalize some element from it. But if you weren't getting bites before, you're probably not getting bites now. Awesome. That's a good point. There's something between manuscript one and manuscript two that made two more viable or your your craft improved or something and that is pointing you in that direction it could be that you've grown so much as a writer that manuscript two is just this wonderful thing with everything you've learned between manuscript one and manuscript two yeah or it could be the concept we don't really know we don't know but a lot of people publish their manuscripts out of order that they wrote them yes of course. And also, not everything you write necessarily needs to get published. Like you are saying, like, perhaps the journey of writing book one and submitting it and everything like that, like, had to just kind of fail a little so that you had, like, the gumption and drive and understanding of what it took to do book two. Absolutely. Very true. It takes a long time. I mean, this is a hard thing to do. You're, it's not like you're going to hit the ground and suddenly start typing the very first lines of your best-selling novel right away. It's That's going just, to get turned oh, into a movie. Ryan, Ryan oh, Gosling. Always turned into a movie. Always. That's the good one. Oh, yeah. hey. Okay. I have a question from, I'm so sorry if I am pronouncing your name wrong, Ozma Bryant from Twitter, who has really badass hair, by the way. Um, her question is, revising can feel like so close yet so far away. When is it time to put the pen down and back away slowly? Ooh, Ooh this is a good one. This is a good one. Allison, how about you? Um, so I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna attempt the quote because I'm gonna totally screw it up, but Oscar Wilde had a great saying, um, that was something like, in the morning, I put in a comma, and in the afternoon, I took it out. Um, and so I think that epitomizes this. When you're tinkering, when you're really not doing work on the project, but you're kind of just playing, like, just a little bit here or there, it's probably time to put it away for a while. My favorite quote, I think, is from Hemingway, uh, and it's, nobody ever truly finishes a novel, they just give up on it. <laughs> Thank that's you. how I feel about revisions. <laughs> I tell my yeah. students in my yeah. class that writing is never finished, it's just due. So I tell my seventh graders, it's never actually finished, darling. It's just due. <laughs> it's the due date. Mm. Agents, what say you? 
I think it's always important to spend a little bit of time away from it. Go live your life. Go look at other yes. things. Go write other things. Go read other things. Go be a human and then come back to it after some time has gone. Now, granted, there are a few projects that have a certain deadline in terms of the market, things that are going out of style. Yeah. If your book is not going out of style, I think it's a very smart thing to take some time away, come back with fresh eyes, and you'll be amazed how much more objectively you can look at your work. I sort of agree with Allison that if you're starting to really, you're not looking at overall plot or structure and you're just sort of, you know, debating between this comma or that comma, that might be a good time to step away and take some time. And then maybe you come back to a revision or you look at it and say, like, actually, this is kind of awesome. I'm going to start submitting it. My other feeling is, you know, there are published authors who would keep revising their manuscripts until the editors pry it out of their hands and they slap, you know, the, the book jackets on it. And then they go into the bookstore and start revising, you know, they try and like, do they pay for proof corrections? My goodness. Oh no. Look at horror on her face. No, no. I've had authors who want to fix things in the paperback. Oh, okay. So I've done this. So I wanted to bring it up that it is entirely possible to over revise and over edit the hell out of a book until it is sterilized and it loses all of that voicey, awesome quality that made your book special in the first place. So if you're getting to the point where you're just picking at things or you're on your like 15th pass of it and you're just, you know, like you can actually revise to the point where you kill what makes your book special in the first place. Like here's a question just for me. Would you prefer that the book is, slightly raw but authentic to what the story is or slightly neutered in tone of voice because they went too far in their vision. Slightly raw. Raw. Yeah. I mean, slightly you can raw, work yeah. with raw. You yeah. can work with raw. You can't be like, add some magic here. Agreed. If you, awesome. If you have to balance your voice, voice, voice. Right. Voice is more important that that, than that comma. And this is coming from like a proofreader. <laughs> voice is more important than that comma. But I also feel like the manuscript is going to stay static and you're going to grow as a human being. So, of course, you're going to feel like, oh, I could keep tinkering with that. But you just have to let that manuscript be in that moment. That's where you were. And then you can move on from that, whether it's to write your next book or to do another round of revision. You know, don't beat yourself up for having that book in that moment. Wouldn't it be nice if you could give your manuscript a blood test or like an ink test to be like done? <laughs> Instead, you're like, like picking your baby manuscript out of the nest and hoping yeah. that it flies. Um, yeah, summer wins that question. <laughs> I'm a writer. Monica, I'm dying to hear what you have to say about that. I'm not sure. I feel like everyone has said everything good. <laughs> Next question. Well, how about you go first, Monica? Yes. Are you ready for this one? Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you know if you have received some bad advice? On your manuscript. From, like, a friend? Yeah. Like, how do you know if you have feedback from your critique partner or whatever, and it's not a good, like, because sometimes authors, when they're trying to revise, they're so hungry for feedback that they'll someone will say, oh, you should change this, and then they'll, like, go do it. And mm-hmm. then, oh, you should tweak this, and then they just make a mess of it. How do you, how can you discern if the advice you're getting is good or not? I think this goes for advice across the board also though, but I mean, obviously take advice from someone who's not necessarily a professional you're trying to sell to. Take that with like a little bit of a grain of salt. 
I would say sit with it for a little bit. Like don't just hit the pavement and be like, I'm going to make these changes or maybe like start a new draft. Like that's completely separate and like start the changes. And if it doesn't feel right, then, you know, don't force it. And also I'm not sure if this is true. And I'd like to be, I'd like to know from you writers, but I imagine sometimes like a critique partner could carry some of their own baggage when it comes to like revising or like critiquing like somebody else's work. And I would like kind of keep an eye out for that too. Oh my God, that is such an important thing. And I've run into that so many times and it, it is hurtful. Like it, it really gets in your head. I, I had somebody who had just had to shelve a book because I think it was their query wasn't working, but they were taking it as the book wasn't working. And so I'd asked for just a query read and they came back and were like, wow, do you suck at query writing? Let me, <laughs> let me redo this for you. And I was just, I was devastated because I had sent out a round of queries and I was just like, oh my God, I've ruined everything. Like I've ruined this whole thing. And then I figured out later, I'm like, no, no, that was her. And then I, I did have somebody when I was really, really new who was just sort of like happy to have asked to critique something. And so they were overly nitpicky in that position of authority of like, look, I am very skilled. Let me show you how skilled I am. And it, it, it turned the chapter that I tried to revise according to her notes into this blazing hot mess that I, the whole time I was just like, I'm so glad that I kept an original copy of this because my it, it was just a nightmare. People mean really well most of the time, but sometimes people just aren't on key for the book that you're writing, for the voice that your book carries. And to be honest, sometimes people let their own baggage and shit get in the way and you do not want to let that affect your book. That's why it's important to have multiple beta readers because if like three people are coming to you saying, yeah, there's an issue with your book or your query that's this, you can take it to the bank that, okay, I should probably look at this. But if you have one person who's being particularly brutal about something and it's really messing with you, you need to step back and go, is this me or is this them? I've had the exact same experience. I tend to gravitate toward projects that have some level of emotional, like, I don't even know what to call it, but just emotional baggage. Like my characters have baggage and every once in a while, you know, you'll find someone that's reading it and they'll have the same baggage and that yeah. makes it risky. You know, th that's always a risk. And in, I mean, on the flip side, it's made it that when I read my friend's work, I'm very, very aware of my own baggage now in a way that I wouldn't have been before. And I can look at a situation that I'm reading something and go, you know, I'm probably going to be sensitive to that. I need to make sure that I approach this, you know, graciously. Like, it's not, it's not about me. <laughs> this is their I'm, book. <laughs> I'm going to try to say this as delicately as I can, but I had an industry person, not a critique partner, but I had a rejection one time because the book that I'd written about was about a particular uh, disorder, and I believe that the person who read it had the disorder, and they read the book from their perspective of being a person with it. They were so unhappy because I try to tackle serious things with humor. That's just sort of how I do life, and I, I like to do that with books, and man, did they not find it funny. Oh my god. So yeah, baggage, not your baggage. Not your circus, not your monkeys. Super fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it is for projects if I feel like I can't edit it well. And if you consistently feel bad around a person, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. It's time yeah. to go on to our top 10 list. It's the Woo! first top 10 Woo! list on our little show. And let's see. It looks like we're going to talk about our top 10 revision tips. And everybody's got one or two. And it looks like, Allison, you're going to start us off. Yay, Allison. Yay, super. Yay. Okay. 
My first revision tip is that you should read your dialogue and the rest of your manuscript out loud. You will be shocked by how many things that you find when you're reading it out loud. And you're like, how did I miss that? Yeah. And for dialogue, I think it's particularly important because if it sounds really weird when you say it, it sounds weird when your characters say it. Your characters should be like people. So you know you need to fix something then. That's an excellent That's a good one. Mm-hmm. You can also save some uh, sections that feel awkward as like a voice memo and then listen to it as well. And that's like also like, oh, my gosh, this sounds weird. So one of my tips is always leave one round strictly for line editing and proofreading. If you're trying to do sort of macro plot, character, world building while you're trying to line edit, you can sometimes miss things. And I feel like if you just dedicate one round of revisions to only proofreading and line editing, it'll make your revision experience a little bit easier and also much, much better. Um, Okay, looks like I'm number three. Mine is to give yourself space before you start revising or even in between revisions. I'm writing a book for the third time (laughs) from scratch. (laughs) And sometimes you just need some time. Like sometimes you need to like write it once and go, eh, eh, wrong, and then take some time and then like write it again and go, eh, eh, no, step back, (laughs) give some more time and write it again. Giving yourself some space and room to breathe and some actual clock hours and days of space, you know, really has made a huge difference to me. And look who's here. It's our fucking male friend. Hi, Ted. Hello, ladies. To bring us I'm coming. I'm, re- I'm reporting to you live tonight fr- in front of this average Midwestern family's Christmas tree. <laughs> because I wanted to bring you a, a tip, you know, near and dear to my heart, because I think it, it's fundamental to what your writing is grounded in. Because what makes writing special sometimes are there's those unusual, those memorable, those creative turns of phrases, those words, you've used them in an interesting way. And nothing diminishes that, like your reader having read them previously. So what I like to do when I'm done with a manuscript is hit that old control F and look for those little quirky turns of phrases that maybe I used earlier in my manuscript and then manage where I want them to occur. And then I do the same thing with phrases and words that I know as a writer, maybe they're a little bit of my own tick as a writer that I go to a little bit often. So for instance, if I were to say, I'm gonna wrap this report up right now, Actually, there was a way I wanted to say that. I'm going to wrap this report up right now because the family who owns this home is about to come home from dinner. I can go back and forth that I used home twice in rather short order and maybe edit out in my manuscript. And shit, okay, I really got to go now. I'll see you guys. (laughs) Yeah, and words like seemed... Gas, uh, shuddered, anything, anything that ends with L-Y. Anything that ends with L-Y. Those words just jump out at me. Like, uh, she seemed to be doing the It's like, why can't she just do it? Woman? No, I, dead seriously, I have to do it for profanity because I get really overexcited <laughs> when I'm writing and I try to limit myself to like 70 bucks so per manuscript. I, like, so I literally have tears where I'm like, I cannot use more than like 43 bucks and I cannot use more than like 27 shits. Like, and I have to add it up because if I get carried away, 
And we just leaped right over PG-13. I'm so sorry. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we're marking the podcast store. Are we? Yes, we are. Yes. You're going to edit we're, that out, right? So my mom can listen and not feel sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. You have to be 18 to download the podcast. Oh, we then. Then who cares? <laughs> Revisions are explicit. Revisions are explicit. <laughs> All right, Monica, do you have our next tip? Yeah. My revision tip is somewhat of a reality check. So basically, you're not going to love your manuscript the entire time that you're revising it. You're not going to be like, oh, I love that someone just gave me a shit ton of stuff that I need to change on this thing that I just spent a shit ton of time on. So I'm really excited we can curse now. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah, so, <laughs> audiences only, okay? <laughs> but basically, you're going to hate your manuscript for a little bit. It's true. You're probably going to hate it, and you're going to want to quit, and you're going to want to give up, but you're going to keep at it because you're, like, really working on the thing that's going to make your manuscript really good and, like, a masterpiece that stands the test of time and something you're really proud of to put out into the marketplace. So... You're going to hate it, but then you're going to love it again. I promise. Awesome. And maybe you'll also hate your CPs and your beta readers for making you. And, the and your agent and editor. And your agent. I mean, if you're a writer, if you're not hating literally everyone and everything around you, at some point you're doing it wrong. Fuel the fake fire. No, I'm totally kidding. I love you all. Okay. I have a tip from our Twitter chat party hostess, Veronica. She Veronica. recommends. Ah. All the amazing traits she's posting. I can't even, you guys. I can't even. I need to eat them all. She is unable to even at this point. But I am able to eat. So. Yes. yes. Veronica's tip is to give yourself a full day or two between when you get the notes from your critique partner to when you start trying to work on something. So definitely, we spoke about this a little bit earlier. I think Monica said it perfectly. But basically, make sure that you don't just like jump in working on a revision on these specific notes right away. Give yourself some time um, before you start trying to actually put those notes into motion. I think that makes so much sense because a lot of the time people give you a note and you're like, no, everything's perfect. And then time goes by and you're like, oh. No, I actually just didn't want to do it because no. I love my manuscript. You're too close to it. The way it is, yeah. You're too close to it. You're yeah. too close to it. Okay, so my tip is it's a way to trick yourself into cutting, right? Mm -hmm. So you have two documents, dual document system. So you've got your document that you're working on and then the document that you cut and paste all of the things that, oh, maybe I don't need that. I will copy and paste that or cut and paste yes. that into the new document. It's still there. It's Mentally, totally. it's oh, still I there. That. I can always go and get it. I do this. I, I probably can't revise if I'm smart. Or if it is really good and you talk to your agent beforehand, you can turn it into marketing material. You can turn it into a short story or a novella or something like that that you can use later. So you don't have to get rid of it by throwing it in the trash. Mm -hmm. It's just like a little instead of darling, darling, it's a, in a coma. Yeah, it's it's a darling collector. <laughs> a, a medically induced coma for your darlings. Yes, a medically <laughs> yeah, induced God. coma ward for your darlings. That's messed up. It's really no, messed up. <laughs> no, I do the same thing. I have graveyards of files full because I just like. There's like one really good line in there that I didn't want to let go of and it hurts too much to let it go. So no, I, I definitely do that. Just, I, I mean, seriously, that's a real thing. All right, my tip, 
Yo, uh, number eight. <laughs> My tip aside from I cannot emphasize how important it is to have beta readers and have people CP the absolute hell out of your manuscripts because you need people to tell you what sucks. Just a side note real quick before I get to my actual tip is when you have beta readers and CPs, make sure you have them that actually tell you what sucks because you don't want somebody to just tell you that something is sunshine and roses because that doesn't help you in the slightest. You need somebody to tell you what doesn't work as much as you need somebody to tell you what does. So now on to my actual tip. Sorry about that. My tip, and this is really where I actually got it from a friend of mine, uh, change the font of your manuscript. And I know that sounds so weird, but you will see it like a completely different book. You will see all kinds of little errors and things that you never spotted before. It's bizarre, but it works. That's amazing. I've never tried it, but I'm going to try it now. This is very, very I, bet I bet there's an explanation. I bet that. there's, yeah, it's like a neural pathway that changes. <laughs> it, it, like, I'm serious, there's so much science behind it. Like, your brain gets very, like, robo-read trying to get through the manuscript that you've written and read, like, 700 times, and finally, like, you put it in, like, I don't know, from Times New Roman to, like, Ambia, and then all of a sudden it's a whole new world. I it's a whole new now. world. I know. I, know. I totally got I got this tip from an editor at uh, Little Brown Books for Young Readers, and it's to read your manuscript backwards. So you start at the end, and you read it all the way to the beginning. And it's sort of the same idea where you get to see it with fresh eyes. Something that I also did when I was in theater training is we would go through the play really fast. And you just did everything at breakneck speed. And you did all the blocking and you did all the words, but so, so fast. And so it changes the speed at which you say it and you discover new things. So either... You can read it backwards, or you can read it slow, or read it super fast, or as Summer said, read it in a different font, and it'll give you a new perspective on uh, the manuscript that you're reading. Wait, just to clarify, you mean like read chapter 10, and then chapter 9, and then chapter 8? Or do you mean like, 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 Start like, at the end with the last word and then read all the way backwards. To the beginning are you of the serious? Wait. Like, you're, like, saying full-on memento that shit. <laughs> um, yeah, memento that shit. Wow. That's really hard. That is hard. <laughs> you're only allowed two fucks in PG-13 movies. You're allowed two? You're allowed to. Uh, summer, <laughs> summer, you're screwed. I totally well, messed up our quote for that. It's automatically rated R. Yeah. Does that mean Maybe since I put this in the rated R territory that we can now have some sort of partial nudity? Because again, pants. <laughs> <laughs> Summer's I think not, that we're I'm just lucky not. that Summer's wearing a shirt that's not see-through. You guys didn't even oh, know. Oh, my God. Her. You oh, yeah, you missed that. <laughs> I came on camera for, like, the pre-show, and I sat down and boobies everywhere. I did not realize <laughs> that my shirt was completely see-through, and I had to run I go change. Summer, for this so is not rated X. Come I'm on. I'm so sorry. NC-17 at most, Lee. It really was hilarious. <laughs> I think our last of the ten is Allison's. Yeah, and bring us home. I'm gonna this out and bring us back to normality. Um, maybe. <laughs> so so I, I don't remember. I don't remember where I got this tip from, but um, read your manuscript pretending you're your worst enemy. So when you're really, when you hate somebody, you don't want to find anything redeeming in that project, and so you get really brutal on yourself. And you'll find so many problems 
that you suddenly confess. That's a I good one. I have to think of the right and already <laughs> my own like, enemy. Summer's like very blank. <laughs> no, I just like all I can think is nobody will tell you my work sucks more than me. Right? No, I cannot imagine <laughs> taking that to like a higher level. Like, like, are you trying to hurt us, Allison? Like, what are you? I'm yeah. <laughs> you know what? I say sometimes you have to kill your darlings. You have to take it to like mafia level. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Make oh sure, my God. This is also a reason to have good betas and CPUs so they can hold your hand when you like delve too far into the crazy of like <laughs> reading your book backwards and complete gibberish and like trying to follow <laughs> your, your own book and I, I think everyone who's watching this show needs to start drinking more and more and more <laughs> it all make perfect sense <laughs> to drink yeah it's like the comedy club yeah where you have a two drink minimum. Minimum. okay so we had a request we had a request last week to wrap up each episode with a little update for your manuscript wish, wish list it's just about time to wrap up this episode so we could just do a quick run through with you guys about what you're looking for right now. Allison, could you maybe start? Are there any specific projects that you're looking for right now? Uh, okay, let me see if I can get my key ones. Um, I want a sweeping Southern Gothic. I want a teen Outlander. I want a teen Ooh. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And then I'm always for the really cozy middle grade that feels like an old friend. Awesome. Monica, what are you looking for right now? Um, I'm looking for tragic comedies. Mm. Mislaid by Nell Zink was like my favorite book of the year. And I just loved how it turned into this like, it was all very, like it was really serious topics, but then it like flows into this hilarity at the end and you just like can't be sad. And it was like weird and weird and it was great. And it's like, I want that in my inbox, please. All right, Jessica. Oh my Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was just thinking what a sad romantic I am. I'm so smitten with what I have. I can't even think of what I want. <laughs> This is so terrible. Okay, Rosie, go. I'll think. Okay, um, I'll take one of what Monica's having. Uh, <laughs> I will also, also take, take, I'm dying for a con or a heist story. I love white collar. I love leverage. I love oh, a smart con artist with tech or jewels or art. Or I just added this, valuable foodstuffs. I realized that food <laughs> is incredibly valuable on the black market. Oh, like, so like a truffle, cake, a truffle smuggler. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So and when Rosie gets this, she's like, sending it to me. Um, I also really love when the structure of the narrative is part of the story. So books like We Were Liars with an unreliable narrator that sort of structures the book in their point of view so you can't see the hidden parts of it or when please ignore Vera Dietz where the structure is sort of weird and you get multiple POVs or I just I love when the meta story is part of the story mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of effort and I applaud you for doing it and I want to read it um also can I just say like all of the good ones I just got for a book that I read in like a day and a half. Mm. I've never read anything this fast. It's a YA about a valedictorian who will do anything to keep her spot. Mm. And it's contemporary YA, but it is so cutthroat and so brilliant and deals with, deals with perfectionism in a way that I've never seen before. Um, it's called Intertitle Here. It's out with Disney Hyperion next year. It is brilliant, and I would love 
more YA characters who deal with perfectionism and are really interesting, cutthroat, smart, mm -hmm. willing to go to the dark place of why do we care so much uh, area. I think that's yeah. really important. And it's such an interesting thing to cover. And it's a diverse character, too, who's at the top for a lot of reasons. And it's fascinating. Yes. And, and I think a lot of agents are on the lookout for diverse characters, diverse settings, diverse circumstances, and I am definitely one of those. Um, I also love a phrase that I heard from Jessica. Maybe she wasn't patient zero on this one either. Lowbrow concept with highbrow writing. Oh, I might have been. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. it's like, you know, if you write it well, but it has a commercial hook, a.k.a. a little bit sexy, a little bit something. A little reality. A little bit lowbrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. I love television. I do too. <laughs> well, I think I think that's gonna do it for this episode, ladies. Yeah! One more in the can. Happy holidays! Yes, yes happy holidays to everybody. Yes. All happy right. holidays. Everybody have a great holiday, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Pub Talk TV. For more episodes, go to pubtalktv.com. That's pubtalktv.com.